I'd like to read our sermon passage. It's Proverbs chapter 11, verses 28 through 31. And just like last week, uh, just if for nothing else to wake us up on a rainy day where we've been listening to quite a bit already, would you please stand? It'll be a way of expressing physically honor for the reading of God's word for our primary passage this morning. But also hopefully get the blood flowing and get us waking up. We're about to hear from the Lord and his word. Proverbs 11, 28 through 31. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Let's pray. God of our Lord, Father of glory, please give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Please enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Please help us grow in our knowledge of the hope to which you have called us and the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. We entrust ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Please speak to us powerfully through your word. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the big ideas in the book of Proverbs that we've seen over these years that we've spent January in Proverbs is that our day-to-day mundane decisions determine the path we chart through life. And that path that we take through life determines the outcomes we experience in life. And not just in eternity, although that is the ultimate expression of the consequences our decisions bring about. But even here and now on this earth, our decisions have consequences. Proverbs is all about that relationship between day-to-day decisions and day-to-day real-life outcomes. Today we're concluding our time in Proverbs. This will be our last sermon in Proverbs for this year, unless the Lord uh, guides us otherwise throughout the year. And I just want to encourage you to think about your decisions the path you are taking through life, and the outcomes you're experiencing, the consequences you're experiencing in your life. Are your decisions and your path leading to a life that is falling apart, or are they leading to a life of flourishing? That's the language of the passage. Let's start at verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So here, he's talking about righteous versus unrighteous. Tom mentioned how the Bible has these sort of two categories, and there's different words to describe people in each of the two categories. Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom and folly, and it talks a lot about righteousness and unrighteousness. And they're not synonymous. Righteousness and wisdom are not synonyms. 
Unrighteousness and folly are not synonyms either, but they are connected. As you read through the whole book of Proverbs, you kind of start to understand the relationship between these ideas. Uh, is sort of between the lines that wisdom emanates from righteousness and folly emanates from unrighteousness. So think about it like a guitar. If you have a guitar that is perfectly in tune, a musician can play beautiful music out of that guitar. The guitar can produce beautiful music if the right person has a hold of it. Now, if you have a beat-up guitar that's missing a string and it's all out of tune and out of whack, it's going to produce ugly-sounding music. It's it's not going to work right. That's sort of the way righteousness relates to wisdom. The person who has, through Jesus Christ, been made righteous now has the ability to emanate wisdom, has the ability to live wisely and make wise decisions. The unrighteous person who has not yet been redeemed through Jesus Christ is like that out-of-tune guitar. The decisions will always be a little out-of-tune. They'll always be a little out-of-whack. The motivations will be a little askew. The priorities will be a little misarranged. The aims will be a little misaligned. And it'll result in foolish decisions that will result in a destroyed life over time. Proverbs gives a lot of different examples of folly. We've seen a lot since we've been in Proverbs just this month. Mistreating people is foolish. Listening to bad advisors is foolish. Refusing to listen to good advice is foolish. And here we have a new example for this year in verse 28. Trusting in our riches instead of trusting in God is foolish. Now, riches aren't bad if you read Proverbs, as well as the rest of the Bible, riches are often associated with wisdom. Wise people tend to grow richer over time because of the way they handle themselves. Riches are associated with honor in Scripture often, but they're not to be trusted in for security. Our riches are not to be trusted in as our refuge. That is God's place. We are to trust in God as our refuge and our security and use our riches for his glory. But the unrighteous person, in his folly, if he becomes rich, will trust in those riches as his refuge and security. And the verse says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. The language here is the same language as if a house was falling apart, falling in on itself. So every foolish decision is like a foolish decision with a house. The decision to trust in our riches is like the decision to build a house on clay, instead of on a good concrete, solid foundation. The foolish decision to use our speech recklessly is kind of like letting a leak that you've discovered in your home just continue and continue and continue, rotting away the wood. The decision to be lazy is like the decision to neglect your maintenance on your home. And you know how a house, if it's not maintained, will try to fall apart. Buildings are always trying to fall down around us. We're always having to continue to keep them up. Life is this way as well. So foolish decisions lead to falling. On the other hand, wise decisions lead to flourishing like a green leaf, the verse verse says. So every wise decision is like a good decision with a plant. 
Trusting in the Lord instead of our riches is like planting a, your plant in good soil. Being generous, like we saw last week, is like putting your plant in a position to get the right amount of sun and water. Welcoming correction is like removing the slugs from your plant. We had a little garden, and Meredith declared all-out war on the slugs that would get on the leaves of our plants out there. Wisdom leads to an outcome of flourishing like a hearty green plant that's fruitful and productive. Now, I'm pointing all this out to you. I don't think any of this is news, but the big idea of this particular unit of thought in Proverbs is to connect the dots between the decisions and the outcomes. Often we don't do that. Often a a D student in school will look at an A student and think, man, why are they so lucky? And not realize that those A's aren't the product of luck, they're the product of wise decisions, small wise decisions that add up to a flourishing student. The decision to pay attention in class rather than goof off. The decision to take the books and homework home rather than leave them at school. The decision to do the studying for the test rather than just wing it and hope that you remember it. All these little seemingly tiny decisions lead to flourishing. Whereas the decisions to goof off and not take the books home and to not study for the test lead to a student that's falling apart grade-wise. But often we just don't connect those dots. We think it's arbitrary. We think, gosh, that student's so lucky. I've heard parents with unruly, undisciplined children look at parents who have respectful, well-behaved children and say, man, you're lucky. I wish I had a kid like that. And they don't connect the dots to all the little tiny wise decisions that those parents made that led to that outcome with those children. And they don't see all the tiny foolish decisions that perhaps they have made that are leading to the outcome with their own children. You see it often in our world. People just don't connect the dots between the little decisions and the real life outcomes. Proverb teaches over and over and over again, your decisions Chart your path, which leads to your outcomes. Not just in eternity, but here and now. Wise people tend to flourish because of their decision-making. Foolish people tend to fall apart because of their decision-making. As we get into verse 29, it goes into more detail of how foolish decisions can lead to a life that's falling apart. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. And the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. So here we have a new example of unrighteousness expressing itself in folly. We've looked at trusting in your riches instead of God. Here the example sort of shifts to a new way it can express itself. Troubling your own household. Causing distress and disturbance constantly to those who are the very closest to you is another way folly shows itself. This is the lazy husband. This is the shopaholic, overspending wife. This is the rebellious teenager. Every family supposedly has that black sheep. Not just that they don't fit in, but that they trouble their household. They're just always generating drama and issues. They're kind of like a sore. A small sore can have a huge impact on an otherwise healthy body. You ever had just a small sore or something on your foot 
Everything else is healthy. You've got a small sore on your foot, though, and now everything's just a pain. Everything's difficult. Well, sometimes unrighteousness can express itself in a, in a certain brand of folly that just brings this kind of trouble upon one's own household. And here in the verse, it explains two possible consequences for this kind of lifestyle. Destitution and servitude. Destitution, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. So how it's supposed to work is, God's people in their wisdom operate in such a way that over time they build up resources and relationships. And all this will sort of formulate into an inheritance that gets handed down and the children of these wise people inherit the benefits of the resources and relationships of their wise parents. Now, it, it might just be money because of good stewardship, or it might be property, or it might be a, a business, or it might just be a good name and good standing socially within a strong social network. But that's kind of how it's supposed to work among God's people. But when one troubles their own household, Proverbs teaches that they don't inherit good things, they inherit the wind. Just You can't hold on to the wind, you don't keep it, it doesn't do you any good. Now you can kind of logically think how that might come about. One possibility is that the foolish person that troubles his own household might just so drain the household of resources that there's nothing left to inherit. I think many of us have seen that happen. You know, all the investment necessary for, for rehab or bail or uh, otherwise getting out of trouble or trying to bail out of debt because of bad financial decisions, it can just drain the resources on a household or a family or even a community. Or it might be that they've become so troublesome that they just get cut out of the family altogether. I think we've all seen situations where a family had to just say, listen, you, we love you, but we can't trust you anymore. We have to just cut you off. You can't come over. We just, until you can change your ways, we have to protect ourselves from you. Another potential consequence of that kind of folly troubling your own household is servitude. It says, the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. So again, the wise of heart will increasingly over time, generally speaking, increasingly get their life in order. And as they do, these resources and relationships will, will build. Stability will come from that, typically speaking. The fool, on the other hand, is moving the opposite direction. And with their decision, their life is increasingly unstable and falling apart. And their resources and relationships are just deteriorate with each bad decision. Now, eventually, back then, that would put the foolish person in such a state that they would have to be the servant to the wise of heart. They had no resources. The wise of heart has resources. I will serve the wise of heart to benefit from his resources. Our culture isn't set up like that. That servitude doesn't necessarily happen. It's more of a dependence is created between the foolish and the wise of heart. But whatever it is, there are consequences to this brand of folly, any brand of folly. Now, I just want to make a note here before we proceed into the next verse. This is general principle. This generally holds true, but it is not the absolute, all the time, 100% rule. So, Inevitably, wise Christians will fall on hard times in this fallen world. Either they, they will make a foolish decision, 
because none of us will be perfect, or someone else's foolish decisions will impact that wise person. It's inevitable even the wisest of God's people will experience that falling apart sensation in this world. So if you have some evidence of that in your own life, that doesn't necessarily mean you're this absolute fool. Also, foolish people will sometimes flourish for a time. But generally speaking, in reality, as God has designed it, this is how things work. Your decisions chart your path and determine your outcomes. Folly, over time, generally speaking, will lead to a life that's falling apart. Wisdom, generally speaking, over time, will lead to a life of flourishing. Verse 30 takes us a little bit deeper into that life of flourishing so we can understand it. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Fruit of righteous is a tree of life. So an apple tree produces apples. A righteous person produces what is described here as life. It's a natural process. A wise person has a life-giving effect on the people around them. You know, we've had um, some bad cases of poison ivy in my household. Uh, I've gotten it. Last year was the year poison ivy struck. Um, in one case, for me, it was my own incredible stupidity. Talk about folly. Uh, we needed just a patch of poison ivy while wearing shorts. Ripped up the poison ivy, got all those juices flowing, and slung them all over my legs. Just, just wasn't even paying, didn't even think maybe this is poison ivy. And uh, it, was, it was bad. So you have to learn how to identify poison ivy. Leaves of three, let them be, or something like that. I just let it all be now. I have Meredith do the weed eating from now on. If you want to try to identify wisdom and folly, if you want to try to identify wise people versus foolish people, say, so that you can pick good friends, for example, one way to identify it isn't just to look at the individual, but to look at the people around the individual and see what effect does this person have on the people around them. As we've already seen, foolish people tend to have a deteriorating effect on the people around them. They tend to drag those around them down. But wise people are like the the fruit of the, the righteous coming out in these wise ways is like a tree of life. So the people around the wise person tend to also flourish. They tend to improve. They tend to be they tend to benefit from their relationship with the wise person. Be pulled up by them. Now, this next bit is a little confusing. Whoever captures souls is wise. Now, everywhere else you see that phrase, it means killing people in Proverbs. Now, clearly, I think just logically, we all know instinctively that's not, it doesn't mean whoever kills people is wise. It seems like, I'm not going to dwell on this too much because it's a little uncertain to me, but it seems like what he's saying is those who save lives. It seems to be an ironic use of that phrase. So I think the picture is that the wise person will be just just increasingly full of life, benefiting the people around them, enlivening the people around them, but also saving people who otherwise would be headed toward death around them. Most powerfully, that would be through the wise Christian sharing the gospel with the people around them and thereby saving them from eternal death. 
But whatever exactly that means, the idea is clear. Righteousness leads to wise decisions in daily life, which leads to a personal stability, which enables someone to add extra blessing on to other people around them. There are consequences to our day-to-day decisions, not just in eternity, but here and now. And we've seen that all month long. We've seen that every year as we've studied Proverbs. It's a good note to end on. So let's read our final verse, verse 31. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Many people think that unrighteousness won't actually hurt them, that it's sort of a victimless crime. You know, I can trust in my riches. I know I'm not supposed to, but I am going to, and it'll it'll be fine. I can lash out when I'm angry. I couldn't help myself. I was mad. I can post. I can fling poo with the other monkeys on Facebook. I can post whatever comes to mind without giving it another thought. What's the big deal? I know, you know, technically it's not wise, but it's just a Facebook post. It'll get washed downstream with the other millions of posts. No big deal. Proverbs is just standing there in the corner saying, no, it's not how it works. The decisions we make have consequences. Righteous or wicked, you'll be repaid, not just in eternity, but on earth. So what's our response to be to this? Pretty clear, pretty obvious, really, as we think about it. I think we'll pray. And we will, just us here as a church and those watching, we'll let the Lord reveal to us unrighteousness and we'll repent of that. And we'll receive afresh Jesus' righteousness. We won't try to earn it. We won't try to become righteous on our own because we know that that's impossible. But the free gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ is he gives us Jesus' righteousness. And we then get to start playing music. We then get to start being wise. And so we'll ask God also to show us any folly in our own lives. And we'll repent of that and we'll ask God to help us live in wisdom instead. Now, I know that can seem like small stuff. Already this morning has been mentioned big stuff, global stuff. There's very concerning things going on, and it's a very upsetting time in many ways. But don't underestimate the power of God's people getting their act together in the mundane daily decisions of life. Now, it may not be that those, those little decisions end up making worldwide change. But it will build a foundation for us to be standing on to do the things that God calls us to do. I think many Christians have been so tangled up in the consequences of their own folly that they haven't been free and ready to do the good deed that might be bigger when it comes. And we don't want to be like that. And we also don't want to just, because there's urgent things going on, skip the daily disciplines of wisdom and try to get on about these bigger ministry endeavors, you can do that, but it it inevitably catches up to you. The small daily folly will catch up to you, and eventually things will start falling apart, and you'll have to let, let that bigger ministry opportunity slide to go and try to put your house back in order. So this is important. It is important to start our year off reminded of God's wisdom. And so let's pray together, and we'll pray this wisdom into our heart 
and into our hands in, in daily life. Would you bow with me? Father, first, I ask that you would reveal to anyone who is here or listening or watching who is at the core unrighteous because they have never repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus for forgiveness and to be made righteous in him. And if there's anyone in that situation, would you please make that clear to them and convict them of their sin and save them. Give them Jesus' righteousness through faith. Transform them. Next, Father, we ask for, for those who are Christians who have been made righteous in Jesus, but who are still living out their old unrighteous habits, that you would convict us of those things. Or let there be no ongoing unrepentant sin in our hearts and in our lives. Make us so deeply uncomfortable with it that we can only confess it and get rid of it. Turn from it by the power of your Holy Spirit and the gospel and our identity as righteous people in Jesus Christ and put on Jesus' righteousness instead. And then we ask where there's any folly in our lives, even down to just the most mundane decisions. If you see folly, would you please make that Make us aware of it and empower us based on Jesus' righteousness to change, to put that folly aside and instead embrace your wise ways. Thank you for what you've taught us this year. Please help us to bless others beyond what they deserve. Please help us to seek wise, godly counsel. Help us welcome reproof and correction. Help us to trust your solid truths over our own shifting, unreliable perspectives. Make us slow to anger. Empower us to be careful with our words. Let us speak in such a way as to bring about peace. Guide us to live within our means. Take care of our stuff. Take care of the people in our lives. Strengthen us to do our work diligently with excellence and generosity. Show us how to give generously in our daily lives. Help us avoid the temptation to trust in riches rather than you. Lord, in every way, let the righteousness that you've given us through Jesus show itself in wise living. In Jesus' name, amen.